Today I'm joined once again by Captain Seth. And before we get to Captain Seth, just as a way of a quick background, this episode is is brought to us by my inklings. I've often talked about those inklings, those things that just kind of pop in our minds and we're drawn to and we don't know why and we just go with them. So, I don't know, three or four days ago I was on a walk and I was thinking about two things. I was thinking about gas prices and I was thinking about the World Domination Summit being in Portland for, I guess, its last year this year. And that made me think of Seth because we met at a World Domination Summit, or WDS for the insiders, workshop in 2019. And WDS 2013 is what lit the fire under me that got me into podcasting and helped me find my voice. Not this podcast, but another one. By the way, this is Seth Vore from episode 110. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back to that one first. It will fill in a lot of the details and give way more context to this conversation. And I also thought of Seth on my walk related to gas prices because Seth is going to be driving a boat for a year that drinks a lot of gas. And when I originally talked to him about this trip a long time ago, I think he said it was going to cost 20000 And all I can imagine is that now it's going to cost 40 or 50. Who knows? We're going to find out. So I did what I did. And I, what I do is I sent Seth an email. I said, Hey, uh, could, could we record something new on what's happened since we last talked? And we last talked in December of 2021. So that's why we're here today. Welcome aboard, Seth. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> the intro and uh I, you find me today uh on the boat uh last we talked i don't think we had identified okay. a boat uh so we've we found the boat we closed on the boat and all the things that that entails and so uh today finds me um waking up on my um dream boat for this year-long voyage uh and it happens to be in uh st charles missouri uh just north of st louis so you're in St. Charles, Missouri right now? I am. Yep. So I need to say up front, I have no idea of anything that's going on with Seth. We really, I just sent him an email and said, hey, can we have this conversation? And then we just push record. So now when you say Missouri, I don't think of Missouri being near water or the waterway that you're going to be on. So how does all that work? It, it actually, uh, Missouri, uh, St. Louis is, uh, got a lot of, uh, water, but it's, uh, the inland rivers. So we're here near the confluence of the Mississippi river, the Missouri river and the Illinois river. And so the boat, it's, it sits now at a Marina, uh, here on the Mississippi river, just about five miles, uh, from where it will join, uh, the Illinois river. And so that puts it on this 6,000 mile uh, great loop route uh, that we intend to take uh, this coming year. And so we're right uh, on the route and um, it, it's, it's a perfect location uh, for beginning this adventure. So you're not going to go north, you're just headed south from here. We are going to go north. So normally you loop oh. <laughs> in a counterclockwise direction. So you're right. Normally you would loop in a counterclockwise direction uh, going with the current downriver at this stretch. But we are 
early for where we would normally be uh, during this time. So it, the main kind of group of loopers right now are somewhere between New York City and the Great Lakes is where you find yourself. We're, we're recording this here in late June. And so loopers are um, between New York City and the Great Lakes. So we're pretty far beyond where uh, most people are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to head north. We're going to uh, head down this little five-mile stretch of Mississippi River, go north on the Illinois River, and that puts us in Chicago uh, in a little over two weeks here. And then we're going to explore Lake Michigan this summer and learn our boat and provision and fix stuff and prepare ourselves for the the official journey, the formal journey. Uh, that's that 6,000-mile loop. And so we'll retrace our steps in the fall as we come back down the Mississippi River and past this spot uh, where I'm sitting today uh, and be in more in line with the normal um, route and timeline uh, with the rest of the, the folks doing the same kind of a trip. So there's kind of a backtrack. A ex- little bit. Yep. And that goes a little bit with our personalities. Uh, I don't like to feel like I'm behind. I, I kind of would prefer to be ahead of the schedule and ahead of, uh, and especially with a boat where, you you know, a new boat to you, things could break, things could need fixing, uh, you might need help along the way. And so to be ahead of kind of where, uh, I I don't want to be kind of at the back of the pack, weather is beating down on you and you wish you were, you know, a thousand miles ahead of where you were, and then your boat breaks. That is an uncomfortable feeling for me, and it would turn this kind of dream trip in, in, into a little, little bit uh, more of a nightmare trip. And so uh, we've got some friends that are doing it, um, that are catching up to the pack right now, and, and their boat has broken down a couple of times, and they're running with it, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're getting by, and, and it, it works, but uh, this is a much more comfortable situation for me and, uh, and my personality and my family's. So last time I talked to you, you still had a job, you didn't have this boat, but you had another one, and you still had your house. So what have you done with your house? How did you find the boat? And what happened to your job? So house, uh, we are renting uh, through uh, kind of medium-term Airbnb, so 31-day-plus rentals. for a number of reasons, but uh, that is a good kind of sweet spot between the vacation rental where you're turning it over every week or multiple times a week uh, and the, you know, lease for year plus kinds of, of things. And so that was a good kind of middle ground for what we wanted to do. And so we left it furnished. So all our furniture and furnishings are still in the home, but all of our personal stuff needed to get decluttered, boxed up and put uh, into attics and uh, things. So we didn't rent a storage unit or anything like that. We just uh, threw it all in boxes, uh, took a ton of stuff to Goodwill, uh, found, rehomed a lot of things, and then uh, packed the rest into into attics. And uh, you know the the normal kinds of home fixing things that kind of get deferred when you're living in your own home uh, that aren't uh, acceptable for renters uh, had to be fixed. And so since we last talked, <laughs> that was a lot of what went on on the the, uh, the home front. Uh, but we've got a, a local property management company that kind of specializes in these medium-term uh, rentals, and they're handling the tenant screening for us, the cleaning in between tenants, the lawn care, the stuff that will break that they'll need to fix. Uh, they're handling all of that. And so that's kind of a big load off. Our first tenants start 
Court. Uh, in a little over a week and a half, something like that, they they move in. And I guess COVID kind of created this uh, month-long kind of sweet spot. So a lot of digital nomads are kind of moving around and uh, will spend a month to kind of get a feel for a city. So if you come to Portland, uh, you know, on a two-week vacation, maybe you don't really experience all the things you wanted to experience. But uh, as a nomad, you can come in, get a, a lower rate on your Airbnb for a month-long stay and, uh, you know, live there and work with the Wi-Fi that's there and uh, move on to the next town the next month. And so uh, when this used to be kind of a lower demand situation, it really has worked out for us where um, a lot of the a lot of folks that uh, learned that they could work from home, work remotely uh, during COVID have, have been able to take advantage. And so that's, um, you know, kind of the MO of the folks that'll be renting our house while we're gone. So then on the boat front, uh, you asked how I found the boat. So the boat market, very much like the real estate, yes, it, it, the real estate market, uh, it's crazy. So people are, uh, there's there's way more demand than there is supply. Boats are really hard to come by. Uh, it used to be you would uh, find a boat, have your broker find a boat, you would fly to it, you would check it out, uh, and then you might make an offer. Uh, that's not how the current market is. You make an offer sight unseen, put down your earnest money, and then you go fly and see if it's something you're interested in. It, it's uh, You write a contract with contingencies so that if it's uh, that you can walk away if, if you need to, um, but you have to lock it up under contract right away. Otherwise, somebody else is going to snatch it out from under you and uh, you won't be having that boat. Uh, and the the types of boats that we were interested in. So uh, when we talked, we were looking something in the forty five to fifty foot range. We have a family of four, so we really wanted to have three staterooms where uh, everybody could have their own space, go uh, get away from the rest of the family, read a book, have some private space on the boat. Uh, and that's kind of a tall order. And that's um, you know a lot of again digital nomads and folks have been able to work from boats. And so they're hanging on to boats and buying up boats and living on them in marinas and things like that. And so it's a very tight boat market. Um, so the way we found our boat was actually reaching out to our entire network. So I mentioned we, ha- we started a YouTube channel uh, that was mostly boat shopping. And so uh, we reached out to, to folks through that channel and through the America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. It's a nonprofit that uh, offers help for people that are wanting to do this big, long boat trip. And so on there, they have a roster of people that have done this trip before or doing the trip or planning on doing the trip. And so I just went through that list of names and boats of ones that were desirable to us that we had found that we were interested in and just hit them up and said, hey, uh, you know, people with same models of boats tend to find each other in marinas and, and you know, at the pub and talk. And uh, would you just mind keeping your, your ear to the ground? And if you hear of something, let us know. And so we worked that network hard and it wasn't an easy process, but uh, we ended up finding this boat through one of those channels where it was in St. Louis uh, rather than maybe where it should have been for the season. So it wintered here. Uh, the couple was doing this trip. Uh, they had some uh, some trouble and some health issues. And so that found them here too late in the season to really uh, keep moving. And so they flew home to Texas, left the boat here. Uh, and then through some conversations with us, they decided, you know, we're 
we're done. We've, we've been at this boat thing for a long time and we're ready to let go. And your call came at just the perfect time for us. And yes, we would, we would gladly sell your boat. So we, we found this boat not being even on the market, uh, the perfect boat for us in a perfect geography for where we wanted to start our trip. And so uh, it really, really worked out. Amazing. Yes. What I hear there too is persistence in the face of... I didn't talk to clients about this all the time. They're like, well, you know, no help is available or no jobs exist. And I was challenging them, well, don't participate in that. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, just look anyway. And so you were like, well, tight market, but so what? I'm just going to talk. I'm going to shake every tree I can find. Yeah. And it wasn't that it was not a frustrating experience and we didn't get discouraged at times. Uh, as we see these boats sometimes pop on the market and by the time we call, it's gone. Um, or we were we were thinking about making compromises on the timing of our trip. Like, uh, well, what if we bought a boat in Florida that's completely out of... Uh, out of the geographies, we wanted to buy something, you know, basically here or north of here. And um, so we were trying to, to scratch our heads and think of other ways we could um, come up with a boat. And it just by by bending our requirements to see what, what we could do. Um, the other thing, boat shopping in the north is very difficult because the lakes are frozen in the winter. And so you don't get a lot of opportunities to, you know, survey a boat and purchase a boat um, because they're all put away for the winter. And um, with a tight market and that complication, uh, this last winter, we were really getting nervous about um, even being able to find something. So uh, very fortunate, very glad that it worked out. And, uh, you know, the, the previous owners are very gracious folks that have been very supportive and helpful you know their their commitment to this boat and this project and our family ended you know when we signed the check and and took possession of the boat um but as loopers that have done this trip uh it's in their blood it's in their hearts and they really uh want to see us thrive and enjoy the trip and so the little things that i found on the boat that i'm like i wonder what this wrench does it looks very specific and i have no idea i just uh, <laughs> send them an email and i i get a response back uh, almost immediately they're just excited for us, excited to see their boat um, continue uh, looping around and adventuring. So, uh, yeah, the right boat, the right time, and the right folks that um, sold it to us. So. so how close to the wire did you cut it? I think as close as we probably could have. Uh, I mean, people do buy boats and, and just move on them and go. Uh that's not how we roll. Uh, just we're, we're planners, we're engineers, we're overthinkers uh, by nature. And so we needed this amount of time uh, to do this. So I flew to this boat in February and uh, you can't do a um, survey and sea trial in this part of the world because of debris in the water and ice in the water uh, until things thaw out. And so it wasn't until want to say first of May uh, or first of April that we were able to get down here and get the survey and sea trial done. They got to haul it out of the water. You can't do that during freezing temperatures uh, and uh, arrange all of the different surveyors. It's not like a home inspection where this one person comes out and they have a general expertise and they crawl around under your house and check out the roof and everything in one shot. This is, you have to have a specific person for the hull, a specific person for the diesel motors. Uh, and then uh, there's brokers involved, your, your buying broker and your selling broker. And all of those people have to converge on the boat at, on a good weather day uh, with the crane operator to get it out of the water and all the things and that all of that worked out um i wouldn't have oh wanted goodness. to cut, cut it any closer uh than than we did um but we yeah because we also needed some work done so that you know you don't um 
you don't expect that when you buy a boat, everything is perfect. And so we had some things that I know that I'll fix myself and some things that were beyond what I wanted to do, or at least wanted to start my, my dream retirement vacation doing, uh, like scrubbing out uh, some diesel spills in the bilge and things like that. And so uh, we had the marina do that work. And of course, we needed to schedule that in too. So they finished the week before we uh, moved on to the boat. And uh, now we've been here living on the boat a week and uh, it's, it's ready to go. And so how did you schedule in leaving your job in the midst of all this? Yeah, I gave them, my boss had kind of known this was in the works uh, for maybe a few, a few more months before um, it was ready to, to make public. And uh, I gave official formal 12 weeks notice uh, that I was going to retire from my job. And that was a long time. That was a brutally long time to continue to work and not start new projects. And uh, I hadn't really figured on that. It was uh, an uncomfortable time because, you know, I'm a hard worker, I'm a diligent worker, and I don't want to cheat anybody or have the, the image of cheating anybody. But, you know, when the work ran out at two or three in the afternoon, uh, and I had home improvement projects to do and decluttering and packing and, and boat stuff and phone calls and personal stuff going on. Um, the work ended and that stuff began. And so it was a long time to keep all of that up. And, and it kind of was, was tough. I think uh, both sides got a, a great deal out of it. I wanted to give them enough time to be able to try to, to hire because I know in this job market, there's a lot of, um, it's, it's just really hard to find quality candidates. And my position is a very niche kind of a, a position. And so um, it's, in, it's chemical engineering, but it's electrochemistry, which puts you in one niche. And then uh, I was managing a team of four people. And so it, that's, a, that's not necessarily the same in the vendor diagram of things sometimes the engineering side and the management side and even traditional engineering management doesn't necessarily have a, a lot of overlap and so anyway i wanted to give them uh plenty of time to be able to find somebody uh they ended up finding a, a couple people to interview at this point but they're still the position's still open but anyway i, I gave them lots of notice uh it was awkward for the 12 weeks uh, it was just like a slow train uh <laughs> that you just had to watch and uh, but it worked out i think uh much respect for on both sides and a lot of talk about uh would you like to come back when you're done and of course what you know from what we've talked about last time uh that's not my plan <laughs> my plan is early retirement and uh that means to be done with uh, work life, at least in the in the traditional sense uh, of you know the eight to five in a cubicle. So um, maybe I'm a, a boat captain in the future. Maybe I um, you know do do some other things. But uh, engineering eight to five in a cubicle is is at least currently uh, not what I'm I'm interested in doing coming back. So in hindsight, if you were to do this again, or recommend to someone how much if three months was too long, how what would have been a better amount of time? I, I think uh, to have your boss know, I think three months would be appropriate. I think uh, to have everybody know and, and be coming by your desk and, and wondering and, and wishing you well, and, and yet you still have to show up the next day. I think a month is, is probably the, the high end of what I would recommend. Uh, it, just, it, was, it was just a long, a long transition. For sure. Yeah, I have. I feel like I gave a month notice in some job sometime, and I can't remember what job it was. And I do remember it being painful. And I was like, never again. So three months sounds like an eternity. <laughs> yeah. With we're related to the job, like one of the things we talked about before was health insurance. How are you going to navigate that? So what did you end up doing with health insurance? 
Yeah, so we did end up going with a health share. Uh, we shopped a, quite a few of them and ended up with a smaller company uh, health share that uh, fits well with our family. I think last time we were really, we were looking at the Affordable Care Act and some plans through that. Um, the biggest challenge that we found with that plan was that uh, they weren't portable. So we're from Oregon. We could get an Oregon plan. Uh, but outside of emergency care, uh, we wouldn't be able to get, you know, normal kinds of, uh, ouch, uh, my back hurts or doctor visits kinds of things while we're out of state on our trip. And so that was really the thing that sealed the deal. I think when we move back to Oregon and we're just Oregon residents and without a traditional job and health insurance, we'll probably do Affordable Care Act. But while we're traveling, we found uh, the health share to be the, the better way for us to go. Interesting. And you mentioned diesel, and I mentioned it kind of at the beginning. So gas prices, what do gas prices do to this? What do they do to your plans? So they they certainly make the trip uh, more expensive. I haven't done um, kind of the pie chart of what each component of the trip costs, but diesel fuel for the trip is probably a third of the, the price of the trip, a quarter to a third. And so now it's um, that part of the pie chart has grown and that part we really don't have much control over how much you buy you know it just takes this much diesel to go around this trip uh, what we can do is drive slower so um, this boat is capable of 30 miles an hour uh, but it will guzzle diesel at those speeds uh, the sweet spot is around 8 to 10 miles an hour and it will uh, not be inexpensive uh, but it will be a lot cheaper going those speeds and we're not in a hurry to get anywhere anyway that's the whole point of this trip is to take our time and to see the sights and to look <laughs> around as we go and so uh driving at eight miles an hour actually kind of sounds fun to me so that's one way we can we can turn down the the diesel price um and then the the other way we can kind of uh, mitigate the overall cost of the trip. So the rest of the pie chart, the the, the largest chunk, is, well, the two other largest chunks are uh, marina fees and eating out and kind of seeing the sights and enjoying where you are. And so uh, for marinas, what we can do is spend less time in marinas. So um, we we this boat is capable of anchoring without uh, being connected to shore power and and uh, uh, water and things like that. So we have large tanks, we have uh, a generator on board to create electricity, we have a large battery bank and an inverter so we can charge electronics and uh, make coffee and do those things. And so we can uh, reduce the cost a bit by uh, by making wise choices there so we don't have to go into a, a fancy marina when we could just drop anchor somewhere nearby if there's a protected spot to do so. Um, but some of these marinas are you know, like uh, five-star hotels, very luxurious pools, hot tubs, weight rooms, um, laundry facilities, all of that kind of stuff. And and sometimes there's a, a time and a place for that. But, um, you know, if we spent a bit much on diesel that month, we can um, certainly anchor out and uh, still take the dinghy in and uh, go and see the sights and enjoy um, whatever town we're, we're near. Uh, and then and then the other big piece of the pie is the the dining out and um, you know we've been on the debt-free Dave Ramsey plan for so long now that uh, we can dial that knob pretty easily as a family um, and I don't think we're going to be missing a ton that way but we can um, you know we can go into town and we can have a good time and uh, you know maybe hit happy hour instead of a full-blown dinner we can hit lunch at a place uh, and uh, if we're going to go 
to a, you know, the zoo, the museums, the walk the town, whatever, we can pack some sandwiches. And uh, I, I think the overall price of the trip will be a bit higher because of inflation and because of the the increased diesel costs but it is not a showstopper it's not um something that we we necessarily fear um there's at this point only rumors of diesel shortages but no actual reported um uh, you know I, i pulled up at a marina and there was no diesel to be had that would start to concern us but uh like i said as of now there's there's no reports of actual um actually that happening but yeah Prices are up. Uh, it will cost more, but I think we've got a good plan and, and ways to to deal with that. How did you do the whole money? So you sound like planners. So how did you do the whole money thing? Like, did you just set aside a big chunk of money? Like, how? Yeah, how, I'm just curious. Like, how you've budgeted, planned? Like, how do you do all this? Yeah. So um, yes, we just set aside a big bunch of money. So we paid cash for the for the boat. Uh, again, we're debt averse. We're um, you know Dave Ramsey through and through. So um, we didn't finance it. Um, so we we paid cash for the boat, and we have a year's worth of living on the boat expenses. Uh, we will rely on some of the income from our home. It's not going to be a lot. Uh, you know, when we first set out, we just kind of wanted it to be occupied and break even and keep the grass mode and uh, things like that. But um, I'd love to have it cash flow a little bit of our trip um, there. And it looks like it will do do that if we have uh, pretty good occupancy, which, which it looks like we will. But yeah, it's just a big pile of savings that... Um, we're starting to spend through as we go and uh, we'll just take it as a, as a monthly basis. We'll take the big lump sum of what we've set aside for this year and, you know, divide it by 12 or 14 months and um, try to keep ourselves under that each month and um, see how we do. And how do you manage your money for this? So you set aside a chunk of money. Do you use a particular software program? Like how do you guys manage the numbers? Very simply uh, Excel. Yeah, we we dump, uh, <laughs> you know, that. we we dump our uh, you know bank account statements and things into Excel and uh, add it all up there and and that's it. So yeah, nothing fancy. So what have you learned from all this so far? I learned a little bit about myself that I I really am um, I get excited about a plan coming together. It. Uh, there were so many moving parts of this, and we're still, you know, going through some of them. But to have had the house work out, the retirement work out, the logistics of getting all of our stuff for our family to the boat and have the boat here in good shape with work having been done on it. When I look at all the things that had to have happen to make that work, uh, I get excited that we pulled that off. Like it just, uh, that part excites me. And I, I, going through it sometimes, it is a slog, um, but I think a worthwhile slog that I am uh, excited by. And so I think I can apply that to other areas of my life where uh, I can know about myself that uh, I like taking on these big, hairy, complicated things um, that have a lot of moving parts and uh, be satisfied when when they um, when they work out. Was this even on your radar when we met in 2019? No, nope. I knew I wanted to uh, do something else. Uh, 
but I didn't know what. I knew it probably involved boats, but I think that's as far as I really had any kind of vision. Uh, I was still very hung up on you can't quit your day job because uh, you can't have health insurance. You can't quit your day job because uh, you're you're shirking your responsibility to your family as the provider um, and, and on and on and on. And um, some of those limiting beliefs uh, were just, and, and I think that's what uh, a lot of what that conference helped me with was um, shutting down some of those uh, limiting beliefs that were holding me back from uh, really doing what I uh, wanted to do. And so without those limitations, uh, I, I was kind of allowed to dream uh, bigger than. And I think that's how I ended up here is uh, just having that freedom to uh, my my wife and I have a an annual planning retreat we go on, and one of the the most uh, I think exciting exercises we do is we put a blank sheet of paper up and we say, "Wouldn't it be crazy if?" And then we just brainstorm and we write things down. And this trip was one of those things. This came out of a planning trip um, a little over two years ago, and that's how we ended up here. Is wouldn't it be crazy if? Uh, we could move on to a boat and do a year-long trip while our kids are still kids, while uh, I'm healthy, and uh, and have it work out and have it be awesome. And and here we are doing it. What would your advice be to someone that hears all this and says, oh, yeah, but that's too hard. Like, how would I even start? You just have to start, number one. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? I, 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 there's so many. Yeah, um, no, it's like really profound, but it's so true. <laughs> you, you just you have to. It starts small. Start, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, aggregation of marginal gains. Right. Start small and just get one percent done a day, and then one percent more the next day, and just keep piecing away at it. A, a trip like this had so many moving parts. Our office looked like, uh, you know, we we're hunting a serial killer. There were, you know, four walls covered in paper, covered in checklists <laughs> and notes and to do's and stuff. Right. And, and trying to triage the different things, like what kinds of insurance do you need and how do you do this and how do you do that? And what kind of boat should you get? And, and, you know, all the what ifs, uh, just starting just, uh, even, and then when you don't even know what to do, uh, just make a list, you know, is sometimes freeing because then you at least have something that's not in your head bouncing around, but then it's on paper, it's out of your head, you can see it and you can put that in priority order to whatever else. And that's how we, we, we did, we just, my, that's, and that's my advice is to just do, just start, uh, and then chip away at it. And, um, and then I, I've just, I've really been encouraged by so many people. I I'm, uh, just by my nature, uh, I, I'm not a ask for help or work the network kind of a person, but I've learned through this process that people are, generally nice people and they want to help and they get satisfied by helping right they they just they want to provide answers and help and um you know in in most of my life and career i've not been the one to to reach out and ask um but that's my other advice is just reach out and ask to someone that's uh walked that road already and uh is willing to share with you because um sometimes some really great things come out of that <laughs> you're both a great example of that wow yeah. What was the first 
So you had this idea. What was what were like the first five one percent steps that you took to even get started on this whole thing? I think the financial one was like the biggest hairy thing, right? Like, how how do you pull this off? And so um, the the one percent thing there was well, how much money do we have saved? And, uh, and how far does that get us? Well, that gets us half a boat. Well, that's not, that's not enough. And so then, well, what do you need to get a whole (laughs) boat? Okay, well, we got to save that much more. Uh, So we got to double what we have in the bank now. And then what do you do during that year? And so we had played with some ideas. Well, maybe we could like work remotely during that year. Um, And and so we started piecing away at that. So uh, the first thing was that big financial thing. Uh, and then there were, you know, tons of little, you know, smaller things that, that came up. Like, how do you, um, the, the insurance question and um, the kids' homeschooling uh, questions and all of those type, types of things. But, um, yeah, the financial one. And it just, it was uh, just starting to actually use real numbers and figure it out. And, you know, so how much does the trip cost? And and that's another one that this uh, nonprofit helps out with is uh, people that have done the trip before can, you know, log their expenses and say, well, this is what our year cost us. And so you can say, okay, well, those guys ate out a lot more than me and they stayed at marinas a lot more than me and the gas price was lower when they did it. So let me tweak all those a little bit and let's see if we can afford that. Oh, we can. Okay, that's good. Or, oh, we can't and we need to make up this much of a gap. And so um, there's there's help out there, but that's that's a 1% is, is to just, you know, start putting pen to paper and um, working on some of those big hairy ones that that you you know that that hold you back just because you you say like you, you like you said I, I could never do that um, you know uh, you know start asking well why not and um, piecing away at those. Well, and it sounds like too probably one of the steps here was finding out is there some place that can help us. Yeah, a lot of help in the planning, a lot of help in. Uh, having confidence that other people do this like we're we're not um you know pull out the blueprint and and follow it kind of folks we we tend to live unconventional you know lives and uh but to there's a there's a certain um sense of security and peace when you know other people have done this exact thing. Uh, other families have done this exact thing. And, you know, they survived. They they aren't in ruin. They didn't say it was the worst year of their life. They wish they'd never done it. In fact, the opposite. And so uh, when, when you start piecing those things together, then, uh, you know, it, it, it starts to kind of build some momentum and uh, some excitement. So where do you predict you'll be mm, September 1st? What will your life look like on September 1st? Uh, September 1st this year in just uh, a few months uh, yeah. we will have yeah we will have summered in uh, in Lake Michigan uh, we will have learned our boat we will have really uh, got kind of our our routines and systems down and everybody kind of knows their jobs around the boat and uh, to me when we um, pass back back through Chicago, kind of, we spend the, the whole summer in Lake Michigan, we pass back through Chicago and actually start um, down the rivers, making real time, moving around this um, loop. Um, in September, I think, is when uh, we start uh, looking outside the boat a lot more than um, inside the boat. Up to this point, it, it's been a lot of effort to um, 
acquire the boat, to uh, make it our own, to provision the boat, to fix the stuff on the boat. But I imagine by September, um, the bulk of that will be done and we will be in, you know, more tourist sightseeing adventure mode. And I'm really looking forward to that. What are the different jobs on a boat? Driving the boat is uh, tends to be my job. Uh, handling dock lines and uh, fenders, which are the bumpers that uh, prevent you from scratching up against a dock. Uh, between here and Chicago, we go through eight locks because uh, the river is a lot lower in elevation than uh, Lake Michigan. And so we need to increase our, um, our height in the water. And so uh, there's jobs communicating with the lock master about, uh, is it time to go in? And what do I do? And how do I tie up? And how do we do this safely? Uh, and then once we, you know, and, and those are jobs underway. And then once we get to a place, there's always boat stuff that needs fixing. There's um, boat stuff that needs cleaning and uh, maintaining. And and so um, there's all kinds of jobs uh, related to that. So, uh, yeah, sorting those out. And, and I, I think one of the important things, too, is knowing the scope of the other person's job. And so we've hired a training captain that will board us in uh, about a week. And he's going to help us uh, move the boat really? from here, here to Chicago. And you wouldn't think, uh, you know, because you know me as Captain Seth, the boat captain in Portland, Oregon. You wouldn't think yes. Captain <laughs> Seth would, would, would hire a captain. Um, but it's part marriage uh, counseling captain and part uh, boat training captain. It's, uh, it's a way for us to, <laughs> to build confidence early in this trip that... Uh, uh, you know, because the investment in this boat is is like the investing in a house, and you don't just go crash your house into something. You know, it's uh, uh, although I could probably I could probably pull it off. Uh, I want these first uh, weeks to be very pleasant uh, and a positive, and get get a positive momentum and energy going on this boat where it's not frustration uh, for her husband, wife, and kids. Uh, there's not yelling. There's not uh, out of control experiences for, for our investment on the boat. Um, but also just relationally, you know, when you get in those high stress situations, uh, you know, words get said that, you know, sometimes you can't, you just can't repair easily and take back. And so, um, a, a lot of, um, people that are embark, embark on this, uh, with much less boating experience, hire a training captain. Uh, ours is really to get us on a sound footing, um, communication wise on a boat this size. So, uh, I, I don't know if you've experienced this or if you're ever like backing up the car into a campsite or something like that, where, um, you know, somebody saying, oh, go left, go right, go left, you know, and they, and, and, and in order for you to hear them from the driver's seat, they've got to raise their voice. And that already puts you on edge. Like, are they yelling at me? Like, are, are, are we doing something wrong? And then maybe you're about to back into a tree or something. And then they, they say, stop. And so then you're, then that is yelling at you. And so then you might take offense that they've raised their voice at you. <laughs> and really they're just trying to get your attention and, and things can melt down quickly. And that happens very much on a boat. And we've experienced that even on smaller boats, docking and wind and things like that. And so when you add, uh, you know, length and, and height and everything else and complexity and, and unknown waterways to all of that, um, we want to be able to communicate clearly. So so we do a couple things. We have uh, headsets so I can be at the helm and my wife or kids can be on the bow with a, a line to throw to the lock master or to the dock hand or something like that. And we can talk in, uh, you know, normal conversational tones rather than yelling out the window, you know, hey, throw the line and, um, and have them uh, 
react in a way that you know they they thought they were doing something wrong, and so you yelled at them. And so we can speak over a headset in a in a speaking tone, and um, and just knowing you know what 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 jobs everyone has, where they are, so nobody ends up overboard or or anything like that. And so that's what this first week with a captain is about. And then and just learning, um, you know, there's a whole um, kind of vernacular of uh, talking to Mississippi River barge operators that I don't know. It's a language I don't speak and uh, need to learn uh, quickly. And, and talking to bridge operators to open bridges for us and, and lock masters to get us locked safely up the river and, and things like that. So Anyway, that's why the captain, and um, he's a great guy, and uh, he comes aboard our boat for five days, uh, and we, you know, feed him, you know, what we're eating, and and he sleeps here with us, and and uh, uh, flies out of Chicago when we get there. So that's it. Should be a great, great experience. It sounds like money well spent. I think so. It's it's a tough check to write as a boat captain, but also, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, just as you're interviewing me here, I am going to pick his brain about, uh, you know, jobs post loop, because to me, you know, this guy, he lives in Fort Lauderdale. He flies into St. Louis. He drives our boat for five days up to Chicago. He gets a healthy check. We feed him and he got to spend a week on a yacht. Uh, that sounds pretty darn good to me. And uh, post this life you know people ask me what are you going to do you're going to go back to engineering well, i don't know i might be this guy when i grow up that's that sounds pretty good so i'll be picking his brain about uh, how that works and and uh, what he likes and, and doesn't like about that role but uh, that sounds kind of fun to me that's amazing that's like a whole nother angle that i would have never thought of like harvesting from this experience that's amazing yeah yeah well any Anything else to report or any surprises or epiphanies or, I don't know, anything else to bring us current? Uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't feel real still. You know, we're, we're a weekend and, uh, you know, freshly retired. And uh, I was just taking a short walk around the marina and I caught the boat out of the corner of my eye. And and I've had this boat on the brain now, you know, the model for like a year, the actual boat for uh, six months, and it's still kind of ha- it's still like a dream state where I caught it out of the corner of my eye, and and, and I've had it as like my screensaver at my day job, you know, and it kind of just felt like that again. <laughs> but I had to do a double take because it's real life and it's it's right here and it's happening, and uh, I'm having those uh, little moments and really enjoying them that uh and i say to my wife all the time you know dear we might just pull this off and it's actually happening and it's really really cool that's amazing it's amazing well thanks for checking in and letting us all know what's going on and helping me follow my curiosity yeah, thanks for following our story and uh, for uh, reaching out. It's uh, always great to to catch up, and uh, it's perfect timing to do it. It feels like a, an inflection point in um, transitioning from the planning to to the logistics stuff to now the actual moving the boat, and so uh, it's perfect time to catch up. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. Send your questions, ideas, or a simple hello to podcast at johnpolster.com. 
Want to stay up to date on new episodes and receive notifications of upcoming events? Register your email address at johnpolster.com slash updates. <laughs>